Good morning, church family. It was 51 weeks ago today that I stood on the platform here and introduced as your new adult two pastor, and Martha and I have treasured and enjoyed every week of that experience. So thank you, you've been a wonderful church family to be a part of. I know some of you got a chance to visit, pray for you, and, and be encouraged by you, but if I, if I haven't had that opportunity yet, I still welcome that. So stop by the office or give me a call. Let's grab a cup of coffee or breakfast or something. would welcome to do that. If you have your Bibles today, turn to the book of Acts, chapter 4. We'll begin reading in verse 13 in just a minute. But as you're finding that, I want to talk about uh, how to look at the book of Acts. I don't know how you look at the book of Acts. There's a certain way that I, I, I approach it. I understand that it is the expansion, the birth and the expansion in the ministry of the church. So you begin with chapter one, and Jesus is about to ascend to his father, and he commissions and instructs the disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit to come to empower them to be the church. Acts chapter two, the Spirit comes, it fills them, and they began to proclaim the truth. Jesus has risen, many come to faith in Christ, and the church is born. We look at Acts chapter two, verse 42, and we see how the church focuses and invest in each other when they are together. What do they do? They pray for each other, they listen to each other's teaching, they fellowship together with the breaking of bread and, and fellowship together. So then what happens when they leave that assembly? When they leave that assembly, they minister to other people's caring for their needs and they share Jesus with everyone they meet. So it's one thing to look at the gathering of the church when they are in intimate fellowship, and then also we are to be the church that goes out and cares for others and shares Jesus with everyone. And when I say everyone, you can go and, and read the, the story of Acts and you see it all over the place. Here in Acts chapter 3, they minister to one who is a beggar at the temple. You just continue to look at the book of Acts and you see that they minister to uh, the, the academic elite in Berea. They minister to a servant girl who is captured in the occult operation. They minister to one who is a Roman official, Cornelius. Paul has a chance to share his faith with other high-ranking Roman officials who were pagan followers. Uh, Philip, in chapter 8, the Ethiopian official, he shares the faith there. Over and over again, all people, whatever station, whatever status of life, they share Jesus with others. That's the story of Acts. When I was young in the faith, I had somebody begin to, to show me the Bible, and they said, Here, here's what I would do if I were you. In the first four books of the New Testament, you'll have the Gospels. It's the story of Jesus, his teaching, his life, his death and resurrection. Know this. Know this. Now, after you finish the Gospels, it's the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the expression of the church. Do this. What you read in Acts, you do. Know this and do this. And so what was the work of the church? They met the needs of others and they shared Jesus with everyone that they met. So, how are we doing? Are we doing this. In Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 13, we see some of the doing that's going on. 
We'll read and then we'll get some backstory to, um, to the setting. In verse 13, now when they saw the boldness, say that word with me, they saw what? Boldness, they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, that they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. And then when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. And so they called them and charged them to speak or teach at all. Do not speak and teach the name of Jesus any further. And Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. But we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all of them were praising God for what had happened. For the man whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old, and he had been crippled since birth, we had found out. 40 years ago. And so when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So Peter and John, they depart that meeting. They head over to the other believers, their brothers and sisters. And, and what happened there? Skipping down to verse 29. They began to pray for one another. Oh Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to continue to speak your word with all, what? With boldness, with boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, signs and wonders are performed through your name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with, with boldness, with boldness speaking the word of God with everyone with boldness. If we go back further, chapter three, beginning in verse one, you see the story of, of Peter and John heading to the temple to pray, and it is there they meet the man who is begging. He's been crippled all his life. He's wanting silver, wanting gold, wanting something, and Peter says, look, we don't have silver and gold, but here's what we do have. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk, and the man does. He doesn't just rise up and walk. Scripture says he jumps, he leaps, he begins to praise God. This is a, an incredible moment. And everybody who is gathered there, they focus their attention on the man and Peter and John while they're there. And seeing all the attention focused on them, Peter thought, now's a good time for a sermon. I've got all their attention. And he begins to proclaim Jesus, who was dead, but God what? Raised him up, he is alive, he is alive, he is alive. And it is by the power of God that this man is now whole before you. He stands here and well being. And what do the people do? They respond, quickened in their heart, and they respond, and, and many people come to faith. If you look in Acts 4, verse four, what does it say? 
Many, many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. 5,000. It's a lot of folks. And while they're preaching, there are Pharisees and Sadducees nearby that say what? We got to shut down this party. We, we, we don't know what's going to go on, but this is going to be bad, especially when the higher ranking officials of the Pharisees and Sadducees, here's what's going on. This is going to be bad news. And so they arrest Peter and John. That's verse four. When the arrest takes place, it says the next day in Acts chapter four, verse five, the next day. And if you look in verse five, it mentions who's there. Annas, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, all of those who are of highly priest descent. They are there at this meeting when they bring out Peter and John from prison to put them in front of the council. As I read that scripture verse earlier and I was thinking, I wonder what it was like for uh, Annas and Caiaphas and Alexander, th those high ranking officials to hear the news that it is being proclaimed that Jesus is alive and many, thousands are coming to faith. I don't think we can grasp how it, how it cut to the bone for them because these men had just months, several months earlier, had plotted and planned and coerced, coerced the, the mob and the crucifixion of Jesus because Jesus was speaking about that he's the Messiah. It's no longer the law, it's grace in him. You find your way to God. And they were like, we gotta shut Jesus down. And so they thought they were successful. They put him on the cross. And now word comes. It made me think, for those of you that might remember, do you remember that picture? It was all over the, the internet. It was on uh, pages of magazines and newspapers. When George Bush was informed, when he was told about America is under attack on 9-11. Does anybody remember that picture? Where, do you remember where he was at the time when he heard the news? He was in an elementary school in Florida, surrounded by second graders and encouraging people to read and uh, the children to read and pray, you know, a pretty cushy, cozy day hanging out with second graders. When all of a sudden, some sharply dressed individual reaches over and whispers in his ear and simply says, America is under attack. Now, being George Bush, he may have said, America is under attack, okay? But either way, you felt this, oh my God. George Bush would later say it was one of the most surreal moments of his life. Commander-in-chief, and we're being attacked. That's what happened to Caiaphas and John and Annas and Bunch. They reached over and they said, you're not going to believe this. I imagine they're kicking back in their nice palaces, eating, eating grapes and watching Netflix or something, and, and here, here the news has come. This Jesus that you crucified, alive and well, thousands are coming. So with that, now you see verse 5. The next morning, they are with all the council and the bigwigs, and they're calling Peter and John out. And they probably are anticipating that when Peter and John walk into the midst of the council, they would be all sheepish, heads bowed, concerned about their well-being and what's going to happen next. But that's not the case. 
It's actually noted that what they are filled with the Holy Spirit, and in verse 12, Peter says what? It is the name of Jesus. There is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved but Jesus, and he is alive. And in verse 13, where we picked up, what did the people notice? They noticed their boldness, their boldness. And I love the fact that the scripture is like, and where did that come from? Where did this kind of boldness come from? What did they recognize? They'd been with Jesus. This is not good. This is not good at all. And so they could probably use their, their strength and their position to obviously shut Peter and John down. But the evidence before them is pretty condemning because standing in their midst, I love that verse, is the man who was crippled and he's standing right there and he's whole and healthy and pretty happy. What are they going to do? They tell Peter and John and, and others, they dismiss them and then they, they confer. They huddle up. One of them says, oh, this is bad. This is, you know, you always have a worrier in the bunch, right? This is bad. This is bad. What are we going to do? Another one says, well, the evidence is, is overwhelming. Have you seen that guy? He's doing his best Gene Kelly singing in the rain out there in the courtyard, and it's phenomenal. What are we going to do? Somebody finally says, we're the rulers here. We're in charge. We'll just threaten them. Surely that will get their attention, and they will shut down. So they bring them in. They say, Peter and John, listen, listen, no more speaking in the name of Jesus. Not any, not at all, not ever. No more. Or, or you will face the consequences. And Peter says, okay, let me get this straight. You're telling us not to use the name of Jesus anymore, is that right? That's an option. Or we can declare that the power of God has ascended upon us, has made this man well, his, his crippled legs are working quite fine, and we know that salvation comes from the one who died on the cross for our sin, is alive again today, who has filled us with the spirit of power, and we can declare and speak about the things we have both seen and heard. What, what would you do if you were in our shoes? They confer again. Well, let's, let's huddle up. Still wondering about this, and they said, we'll threaten them again. Somebody in the back says, let's say we let them go. Let's just do that. So they threaten again, and they say, um, yeah, don't use the name of Jesus anymore. Be talking go. And Peter's like, all right, well, well let's be clear. We're speaking. We're, we're speaking. I don't, you know, I heard what you said, but we are still speaking. And when they leave, what do they do? They go find other brothers and sisters and they began to pray. What do they pray for? More boldness. Because they're not bold enough already. Do you pray for boldness? Had I been Peter and John, I would have been tempted to gather with my brothers and sisters and say, we need to pray. We need to pray for protection and we need to pray for it right now. 
So we pray, 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 pray that we're protected. Or we might pray, oh God, let's, let's revisit Old Testament ways. Can you just smite them down, be done with them? We don't need John and Alexander and those folks around and us. They kind of worry us. Just give them, you know, just give them one of those. That's not what they pray. They pray for boldness, that they may speak more clearly, more powerfully the name of Jesus. Do you pray for that kind of boldness? When you're gathered together, do you pray for boldness? It's good to pray for health. It's good to pray for your children. It's good to pray for your job. It's good to pray for resource. The Lord loves to hear his children pray. But we see from scripture that they prayed for boldness. Acts is about the people of God doing this. Do you do this? Do you pray for boldness? What is boldness? Boldness is about simply fulfilling what we're called to do. And sometimes you hear that word called and people are like, well, you know, I'm, I don't know if I'm called. If you are a child of God, you are called. It, it's one and the same. When I am a child of God, when I become a child of God, I become called of God. Now, sometimes we have other callings. We may be called to in the mission field or to do some devotional work uh, or vocational work or some other unique setting where we can live out God's plan for our lives. There's, there's other kinds of callings. But when you are a child of God, you are called of God. In Acts 1.8, to be my witnesses. Go and do this. So it's about calling. And it's about confidence. Confidence. Calling and confidence. That word boldness. And, you know, sometimes I use confidence because maybe that resonates a little more clearly than boldness, because sometimes I think we just misunderstand what the word bold is because we use it in other ways. We talk about, man, that's a bold color. And we're saying what? That sure is loud, and, and I, I don't want to be loud. Well, that's not spiritual boldness. You don't, have, you don't have to be loud. Well, sometimes we use boldness, and what we're really talking about is somebody is being forward. They're, they're in, intruding into personal space. You know, my, that, that sure was bold. You're kind of arrogant or cocky or appear to know it all. And we, brother, we don't need that. Probably all of us know people who appear to know it all. And that's not very attractive. It's not about that kind of boldness. It's about a strength in your inner being that you will stand up and you will speak up. You will share the fact that Jesus is alive and that he saves. Do this. It's the purpose and role and function of the church. Do this. I'll give you two biblical illustrations, characters that we find in scripture who had this kind of a boldness, this kind of confidence, this kind of calling. It's the anointing that has come upon them. One is King Saul. You might remember King Saul, um, first king of Israel, and he was not necessarily interested in being king. 
He was not confident in being that role. But when the Lord finally decided that he would answer the prayers and the requests of letting Israel have a king, that he was going to select that king. And he told Samuel, he said, I'm going to show you who it is, somebody who I've picked out. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 17, when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, behold, the man whom I spoke to you, this is the one, this is the one that will rule my people. There was a calling there. It further became solidified, that calling, if you will, in verse 1 of chapter 10, still in 1 Samuel. It is there where Samuel anointed King Saul. He received the anointing. That is symbolic. It illustrates when we come to Christ, when we fulfill our calling to be uh, a child of God, the anointing comes. The Spirit comes and resides within us. And what is the result of the anointing? What is the result of the Spirit of God coming inside us? We see further down in verse 6 of chapter 10 that the Spirit of the Lord came upon This is Samuel talking to Saul that the Spirit of the Lord shall come upon you and you will prophesy or you will speak the truth is what prophesy means. You will speak the truth and you will be changed in your inner being. You'll be changed. You'll be different. And so when the Spirit of God came into your life, you were changed. You were different. And you were different in part to speak the truth, to be witnesses. Acts 1.8. Do this. Do this. What about John the Baptist? John the Baptist, when he encountered Jesus, of course, his story is a little unique. He was still in the womb. And he leaped. Leaped when the presence of Jesus was there, when Mary and Elizabeth were talking. And he grew up and he lived out his calling to speak the truth. And in several of the Gospels, you see where John the Baptist went up and down the Jordan and he proclaimed. And what did he proclaim? Repent, or in other words, turn to God. Hey, folks, you've drifted away. You're pursuing your own self-interests. Turn to God. Love God, love others. Love God, love others. Be baptized. Carry the mark. Belong in the family. And love God. Pursue God. Know this and then do this to love others. And so that was what John the Baptist did. And when I use illustrations like King Saul and John the Baptist, if we're not careful, we'll check out. You know why? We'll say, I'm never going to be king. I mean, that's, that's kind of a, a kingly deal, somebody to be bold. I'm, I'm not going to be king, and I'm not going to be out in the wilderness in my camel hair suit eating bugs and honey. Not me. Not called to do that. It's not gluten-free. Or I don't know. Maybe it is. So we kind of dismiss that. I'm not a king, and I'm not John the Baptist. Well, being strengthened in your inner man, having that confidence to speak the truth is for all of us, and we can illustrate that in the book of Ephesians. Paul writing to the believers in Ephesus in Ephesians 3.16. Ephesians 3.16. Now, what is um, 
Ephesus like at this time? It is a huge, not- uh, prominent trade center at this time. And, and there are people of all kinds of faith and belief systems and the idea of, of what God's to serve. Idolatry is prevalent there. And so what does Paul pray for the believers in Ephesus? I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory that you would be strengthened with power in your inner being by his spirit, through his spirit. Strengthened with power by his spirit in your inner being. Paul prays that for the believers in Ephesus. When Peter and John went back to his believer friends, what did they pray for? Boldness. And that's what boldness is. This confidence to fulfill our calling to be strengthened in the inner man. That I will stand up and I will speak out. For John the Baptist, it didn't matter if they were peasants or Pharisees, poor or rich. Anybody that came along, he would speak. We looked at referenced earlier in Acts. It didn't matter if it was a slave girl working in the occult or the Bereans who were high academic people, the rich, pagan worshipers, the poor, the lost. We share the good news. Strengthened in our inner man. Just do it. Now you look at Peter and John back in in Acts chapter 4 and we read that passage and it was like, man, things sure worked out well for them. They were released. It doesn't always work out that way. You can go further in the book of Acts and you see that Paul and Silas, when they began to speak at a certain time, a riot broke out. They were stripped publicly, beaten with sticks publicly arrested and put in stocks in the inner chambers of prison. Don't have to candy coat this. Sometimes it doesn't always work out. Now that probably won't happen to you. You know what might happen to you? Someone might unfriend you. (laughs) Or maybe you were hoping to be invited to that particular party, but because of your boldness of faith, the invitation didn't come. Yes, those are the kinds of threats. Those are the punishments and hardships we live under. So while we do not always know how it's going to turn out when we speak the truth about who Jesus is, I can guarantee you this, it is always worth it. It is always worth it. I was invited maybe 17 years ago to work on an evangelistic uh, emphasis in Marseille. There in southern France, in Marseille, uh, there's a large port where the ferries line up and they take cars to North Africa. And in certain times of the year, it's high demand. And so cars will line up waiting to board the ferry Most of these people are are Muslim heading to North Africa. And sometimes they'll be in their cars eight hours, 12 hours, even 15, 16 hours waiting to board the ferry. And so we would approach the car and and introduce ourselves a little bit while we were there. And and I would 
butcher these phrases in French. I'm sure it was awful as I tried to introduce who I was. Uh, and then we had the gospel with us. And we simply offered it. L'Evangile? L'Evangile? Most of the people that we encountered didn't want to have anything to do with us. They would speak harshly at us, wave their finger at us. I had one guy in broken English just rake me over the coals that I had no business being here. I'm causing trouble. I am not wanted. Go home. We had another team member down the road had hot coffee thrown at him. So we only had about five or six people take l'Evangile when we extended it. And they were pleased to have it. But there was this one, this one lady I approached and again butchered the French phrases of introduction and, and then said, l'Evangile, l'Evangile. And she looked up. She looked around, maybe to be sure no one was looking, but she repeated, L'Evangile? And her lip began to quiver. L'Evangile? And I said, L'Evangile? And she took it with both hands and held it to her chest and just repeated, L'Evangile? I tell you, being out there all day and all the rejections I experienced, it was worth it. At that moment, it was worth it. L'Evangile. Now, some of us, we just haven't prayed for boldness in, in, in our lives that we would speak clearly, plainly, faithfully. And I, I mentioned Saul and John the Baptist and their boldness and how they spoke with confidence and strength in the inner being, but, but here's what else we know about them. They took a spiritual detour. Saul, as king, started to enjoy his life. We've all thought, wouldn't it be good to be king? You do what you want, when you want, how you want. Because, why? Because you're king. Sometimes it's hard to be spiritually bold when you sit on top of the throne. What about John the Baptist? If you know the story where we find himself, he is imprisoned and he is restrained and he is in the dungeon and it is bleak for him. And some of us, we have found ourselves, what? Experiencing betrayal or financial hardship or, or sense of loss or, or illness and we feel like we're imprisoned and it is hard to be spiritually bold when you're in prison. Well, well let me tell you, a good portion of, of my life, if I'm not careful, while I ebb and flow between the two, I am drawn to try to find the throne. I like doing what I want, when I want, how I want, right, anybody? I like being king. And then sometimes I'm drawn, uh, like John the Baptist, if I can find something wrong, I can complain about it or worry about it or wish things were better. And it, it drains me of spiritual boldness. 
You know what I speak of. And yet there was a time, right? Probably all of us can remember a time when the fervor and the desire and the interest was focused to be bold for Christ. But you've drawn to the kingdom or you found yourself in prison, but have you prayed for boldness and have you prayed with others for it again? Because this I know, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. And if he's worthy to be praised, he's worthy to be proclaimed, to proclaim him. Where are you? Where are you? And then somebody here today, I'm telling you, somebody here today, you've heard, you've heard the word l'Evangile, and all that you know is that the spirit of the living God has said, that's you. It's time to take it with both hands. It's time. It's the good news of Jesus that has been laid before you. Reach out and take it with both hands. Where are you today? Let's pray how we shall respond. Lord Jesus, as we gather in this place to hear from you and to worship you, may we now respond to you. If we've not prayed for boldness in a long time, today's the day to pray that we are strengthened in the inner man. Today is the day that some of us are going to say, I'm sitting on the throne too long. I'm just comfortable, comfortable in doing what I want, when I want, and how I want. Stir within me the strength to be the believer, the child that you have called, that I might do this wonderful thing of ministry. Or maybe you feel like you were imprisoned and it's been hard. And even though the hardship may not be dis, uh, disappear, it is still time to pray for boldness that I may speak about the love and the goodness of Jesus. And there may be someone here that it is today. Jesus is whispering, take me. I'm here before you. Reach out, grab me, hug me. Let me save you and come into your life. Today is the day. In Jesus' name, amen.